Welcome to The Waggle, the official podcast of the Canadian Football League. Welcome, welcome, welcome once again to The Waggle Podcast. Oh, I love this intro, I love this beat, and I love talking to you. And we are in week nine, my friends. I know, where has the time gone already? It's starting to be hoodie season in this country, and... That means we've got some important football to be played, and that's the case this week. We're back to a full slate of games, four games this week after we only had three a week ago, and some really, really big matchups, and some matchups that are a bit more fascinating for me, given some of the outcomes and performances that we saw last week. We're going to talk about all of that and more with Pat Steinberg coming up on the podcast. As we mentioned last week, he's going to cover you know three or four topics a week for us that give us a big picture look at what is going on in different CFL markets across the league. And something across the league that I know is important because the motto and the slogan diversity is strength is important to everyone involved in the league from the top down is truth and reconciliation the national holiday now a stat holiday used to be orange shirt day if you're confused on september 30th but what it is and the purpose for it is to pause to reflect on our nation's truth around residential schools and being able to hopefully take steps and calls to action to reconcile that fact. Many different teams are doing different things. We mentioned last week the BC Lions selling out in terms of the orange shirts that they had. There's a great video online that the Saskatchewan Rough Riders put together in terms of what it means to truly reconcile in their community for not just Riders fans, but for the Indigenous community. And Dane Evans, he himself is actually of Indigenous descent. It's something that he's talked about openly. It's something that he's quite proud of. And so we wanted to touch base with him on what truth and reconciliation means to him and why it is such a point of pride. That conversation will end the podcast this week, but to start, we talk to Pat Steinberg on the week that was and what's coming up this week. That's right, it's cover three. Pat is back. We are going to go across the league and cover the things that are interesting and fascinating for him. And we're are you this week pat what are you thinking as we have reached the halfway mark of the season of the schedule anyways um what's your mindset right now specifically in terms of some of the performances that we've seen this far well i mean it's been uh it's been a fun season it's been a it's been a really like we we've seen some separation from one team to the rest of the pack we're coming off a, a really outstanding finish to week eight with that saskatchewan final drive to beat the bc lions and i think dj we're, we're starting to see some separation in terms of you know some of the individual award candidates uh, for instance i i wrote over at the monday morning quarterback this week that you know i i think there's some good candidates candidates for most outstanding player but if we're talking about the guy that you'd have to call the clubhouse leader at least for me halfway through the season it's got to be Winnipeg Zach Caleros in, in terms of how he's led a dominant team and how 
almost flawless he's been this season, how much he looks like the guy that kind of took the CFL by storm in 2014 and 2015. So, yeah, you're starting to see some performances kind of rise above the rest of the pack as well, and, and I think that's led by Caleros. You know, Fajardo's in that mix. Riley's in that mix. There's probably a few other guys that you could throw into the MOP conversation, but knowing how dominant Winnipeg has been in the first half of the season, that's why I cast my vote to, towards Caleros. So it's interesting because you said Winnipeg, and I was waiting for the pregnant pause to hear the name. Because you're right, Caleros and Fajardo are right there, 1A, 1B. When you look at all of the counting stats we use to evaluate quarterbacks, you know, passing TDs, Caleros 10, Fajardo 7. QB rating, Caleros 105.3. Um, Fajardo is actually a little bit behind him at 91.8. Passing yards, Michael Riley leads the league at 1860, but Caleros right behind him at 1731. Uh, Fajardo right behind him, 1644. So they're right there neck neck. But I thought you might go with a defender out of Winnipeg and Willie Jefferson because he has been not just great defender, he's been so outstanding. And when you look at why Winnipeg has been winning, it's really off of the back of that defense. So I thought we might have some history with a defensive winner of that award. You could easily go that way, DJ, and and I think he's in the conversation without question for MOP right now. And for me, he got my midseason vote for most, most outstanding defensive player because, you know, right now he doesn't lead the league in any defensive categories, but he's near the top in sacks. He's near the top in, in forced fumbles and all that. It, You've got some really good candidates. You've got his teammate Jeff Code. You've got uh, you've got a couple of players elsewhere. Jordan Williams, Simone Lawrence are both having really good years. But just the way Willie Jefferson impacts each and every down, I think you got to go with him. And that one, I don't know if it's a slam dunk for most outstanding defensive player, but pretty close for me. And he would be in the MOP conversation. I thought about it. I thought about it, but it's just so hard to go away from a quarterback at that award. So I'll keep. Uh, I, I get to cast one vote, but I'll, uh, I'll I'll keep that in mind as we go towards the end of the season this year. Well. Are you thinking of staying with that locker room for the other major award, and that's Most Outstanding Canadian? Because in previous years, Andrew Harris might say, well, what are you doing not talking about me for Most Outstanding Player? And the year certainly isn't over. Is he the guy that you're thinking of in terms of Most Outstanding Canadian, or are there others that are pushing him? Right now, and partially this is because Andrew hasn't played the entire season, and so things could change between now and when we get to the end of this 16-week uh, season. But right now, it's not Harris for most, most outstanding Canadian. He's And he's really starting to come on. Don't get me wrong. Like, he's really starting to find his groove. But it's uh, it's a dead heat between a pair of BC Lions, whether it's uh, Bo Lacombo or Jordan Williams. I, I think it's those two guys that you have to point to, at least for me, as the front runners for most outstanding Canadian. Williams is the slight runner-up, and I go with Lacombo. He has been, we're, we're talking about a guy who's tied for the league lead in intercept. He's right there for tackles. He's been a driving force of a defense that has been so crucial for BC's success and their resurgence. So 
Andrew Harris could very well find himself in the most outstanding Canadian mix when we get to the end of the season. But right now, I think it's those two BC Lions. I lean slightly towards Lacombo. I love the story. I love the season. I love the impact he's making. But him and Jordan Williams, I think, are the, the leading candidates for that award right now. You know, I feel like Coach of the Year should be whoever is coaching the team that wins the Grey Cup. I feel like kind of like that's the job description win the great cup but ultimately coach of the year sometimes goes to a coach who had to overcome a lot given his roster or who took a team that was unlikely pretty far or goes to the coach who wins the great cup is it still too early to say who a potential coach of the year candidate is or do you have someone in mind there as well well, I mean, this one's a little tougher because you're right. I mean, so often we're talking about the, the coaches that end up taking their team to the Grey Cup or end up having the best record, but I mean, it would be tough to go against what Mike O'Shea has done because that group is so dialed and has not missed a beat after winning the Grey Cup a little under two years ago. They, they missed an entire season, and they look like they've picked up exactly where they've left off. And, and I think a lot of credit in that has to go to O'Shea and that coaching staff and Richie Hall and that defensive group. But like they, you, you mentioned earlier, the fact that Willie Jefferson, you could put him in the most outstanding player conversation and how successful Winnipeg has been on the back of their defensive group, and then you throw in what Caleros is doing and how really kind of pinpoint effective they've been offensively. I, I, I don't know. They're the best team in the league. They're the best team by a significant margin halfway through. So I, I think I'd have to go with O'Shea. It'd be tough to argue against him despite, you know, Rick Campbell's made a nice impact in BC. And I think you always appreciate the job Steinauer does in Hamilton. And Craig Dickinson is doing a nice job for a second consecutive year with that Saskatchewan team. It just, it, it seems so obvious and, and would be tough to go against the impact O'Shea and that coaching staff is having in Winnipeg. Yeah, I think you know, certainly Rick Campbell will be in this discussion changing the culture uh, and in some areas you know, changing the scheme in, in BC to give them real success thus far. And when you talk about Craig Dickinson overcoming on the first day, you get to see your players in person, having five of them injured uh, and done for the year and being able to come into the season and start so hot. I think both those guys might be in the conversation if their teams continue to play well. They will uh, continue their quest to get to Hamilton for the Great Cup, but they're not going to play each other again. And that's a shame because the game they had certainly lived up to the hype. What do you make of not only the, you know, the wild finish, but also what is shaping up to be a wild, wild west in terms of jockeying for position already uh, in the standings with those two teams trying to push Winnipeg? That was a huge win for Saskatchewan in so many different ways. I mean, Cody Fajardo proved once again what a gamer he is and uh, a great final drive to drive home that win. And, and when games are on the line and when things are at their toughest, Cody Fajardo comes to play and did so once again on Friday night. So that was impressive. But more importantly, from a straight-up rider standpoint, 
Like we're talking about that win being not just huge for them taking over sole possession of number two in the West Division and kind of sliding into that spot right behind the Bombers, but they also won the season series from BC. They won that week one game with the crazy comeback from the Lions that eventually went Saskatchewan's way, and then they win this game in week eight. That's huge. And the fact that you mentioned that they don't meet again this year, season series is one, which means if they do end up meeting in the playoffs somewhere and or, or, or if we're talking about a close finish, Saskatchewan's got the leg up to get that game at Mosaic Stadium, which, as we know, would be a massive advantage. So a huge win for Saskatchewan, a huge performance for the Riders, another outstanding game for Fajardo after those two rough ones against the Bombers. Just a, a massive win all around. But don't take away from what BC did. The fact that they didn't win, that stings. But the Lions showed that they're on par and they're on the same level with Saskatchewan. So that's why it's so disappointing disappointing we don't see them again this year DJ because I think that we'd have two uh, a couple more really good games between these two teams and you know it's uh, Saskatchewan's got a lot of Calgary on their schedule now and BC's got a couple of Calgary games on their schedule it's just too bad the Riders and Lions only meet twice this year and hopefully we see them again come the postseason I think it's a pretty safe bet we will. Seeing Cody Fajardo really grow into star player and a leader on that team, every time I watch him, I just think, man, the Argos had a franchise quarterback sitting in their meetings on their team, and they had him running down on special teams and just a short yardage guy. Imagine if he was that quarterback, that elusive heir apparent to Ricky Ray that they really have been looking for. And then I see... MBT, Cloud Bethel Thompson, just airing it out all over the field. And I'm thinking, am I overlooking him? Could he be that guy? In your estimation, does he get enough love? He's always been one of my favorite guys to track. Uh, ever since he entered the league a few years ago and, and first got that opportunity with Toronto, uh, McLeod Bethel Thompson doesn't really do anything spectacularly, and I, I don't think he's ever going to win a most outstanding player, but all the guy does is grind and battle and figure out a way to get things done and be successful. Like, here he is. I, I know the Argos went out and brought in Nick Arbuckle, but... It's Bethel Thompson, who I think has looked better. He's thrown five inter uh, th five touchdowns against no interceptions so far this year and, and has been, I believe, the more effective guy running that offense. You look back to some of the years past. You look back to 2019 where Bethel Thompson, I, I know the Argos struggled, but Bethel Thompson led the CFL with 26 passing touchdowns. He was right there near the top of the passing yardage table. Like th This guy just always seems a way to find a way to figure it out. He grinds, and I think it all is because of the way he got to the CFL and got to professional football and all the different stops he had in different leagues along the way. It's a story that you know I'm very biased towards because I just love the way he's come up and love the way he's landed on the Canadian football scene, but it's, it's an easy one to relate to frequently overlooked and never really gets that shot and is is a guy that has had to grind and climb and nothing has ever been given to him. I, I do think sometimes he gets overlooked and, and Arbuckle is the kind of sexier name, the younger face, but right now in Toronto, I think Bethel Thompson's done a better job and, and I think he deserves a bit of a hat tip for what he's been able to do this season. Yeah, I'm always, as listeners to the pod know, I'm skeptical 
of Macbeth because I'm always kind of waiting for him to ride out these hot streaks and turn into a pumpkin and just have one of those, you know, three, four turnover, you know, missing guys wide open days. But one thing he can do is he can sling it. And we've seen that. And, you know, this year, five TDs and hasn't made that big mistake. Zero INTs, 745 yards passing, and the completion percent is 64.8. He's keeping his team on the field and giving them a chance to win, and ultimately, uh, that's that's all you can ask for. And so I, it's interesting you mentioned it. They've invested and marketed Arbuckle as that guy of the future with a team that's ready to win now. It'll be interesting to see how long, uh, you know, Macbeth can continue to hold down that, that, that spot given Dinwiddie has a prior relationship with Arbuckle in Calgary. But no matter who was playing, and actually we should give Pipkin some love because he got in there and moved the ball as well. It was a big win over Montreal for the Argos. So finally, you know, stacking some consecutive wins. And for Montreal, that has them third place looking up in the east two games back in the win column from hamilton and toronto who are tied for first with a game in hand uh, but they're sitting at two and four and they got hamilton this week and the schedule is set up for them to really make a climb and make some traction in that east if uh, they're playing good football hamilton this week home and home against ottawa which should be victories you know all things considered and then you've got uh, the Argos. So, so the next month, all East Division opponents from Montreal. How big is this first one? The one against the Tiger Cats, their nemesis, uh, last time we saw them playing football a couple years ago. It's big because one thing that has all of a sudden entered the conversation again, depending on how things go with Edmonton and uh, their game against Ottawa, depending on how things go to wrap up Week 9 with Calgary at home to Saskatchewan, but all of a sudden, if Montreal loses this game to the Hamilton Tiger Cats, and that's not that's not out of the question. Like They're going to Tim Horton's field. They're taking on a, a Tiger Cats team that we, we know how good they are defensively. They're 2-for-2 two two with Watford at quarterback, and, and they've done a nice job... Uh, using him effectively but not putting too much on his shoulders, all of a sudden we could be talking about the crossover coming right back into play, and it's something that I didn't really feel was going to be as big a possibility. But if Edmonton's sitting at 3-4 and four and Montreal sitting at 2-5, and five, well, Edmonton's in a playoff spot and Montreal's not. So this is a huge, I think psychologically, this is a huge game for Montreal from a standing standpoint. And when you take a look at how big I think going on the road beating a team like Hamilton, even though the Tiger Cats are, are not the powerhouse so far through one half of the season that they were last year. Still a really good football team, still a Grey Cup factor 100%, and they're doing a nice job with you know their number three quarterback leading the way. This is huge for Montreal, and I think could really spur them on into a nice second half if they're able to take a road win, and I worry about what happens in kind of the opposite direction if they don't win, and now all of a sudden they're potentially looking up at a West Division team for a playoff spot. It's going to be a fascinating week, uh, week nine this week, and, and I, I really uh, am curious to see what type of performance Montreal puts on the field. Well, you're right, and I think it's one of the reasons why it's Saturday, 4 o'clock Eastern kick for this one. I think it's the game of the week because you, you mentioned the crossover and you mentioned, uh, you know, I mentioned the schedule that they have in terms of East opponents, but 
if they're going to stack wins, they better stack them quick because their schedule towards the back end of the year gets serious in a hurry after they face the East essentially exclusively uh, for a month. Here's what Montreal has ahead of them uh, starting in week 13. So you got Saskatchewan coming to you. Then you're going to Winnipeg in week 14, only to then host Winnipeg in week 15. So, yeah, they were going to end the regular season in week 16 hosting Ottawa. It might be a wrap by then in terms of what they can do in the East and, as you mentioned, uh, what those crossover scenarios might look like. So I've said this before on this podcast, so apologies to our loyal listeners who are probably hearing this for the third consecutive time. But it's getting late early in this abbreviated season when you look at the schedule and you look at, for some teams, how the schedule is laid out. you got to really be considering these games now as your playoff push, given the math. And so I'm fascinated to see what we see coming out of Hamilton and what Alouette's team we see show up is one I'll be watching for. I'll also be watching for your MMQB to break it all down on the website and be looking forward to breaking it all down with you again in this very space next week. Thanks so much, Pat. Thanks, DJ. Awesome as always, man. And now joining the podcast, Dane Evans, whose guys I love to follow in terms of watching him on the field, watching him social, talking to him in person. And I'm just sad to say that I'm not going to be able to watch him on the field this week as the team takes on the outlets. Maybe we'll start there. And how are you feeling? Uh, and how is the rehab process going? Uh, thanks for having me on, first of all. And, uh, man, it's it's honestly going pretty good. I mean, um, being hurt sucks. I've never been hurt during a season. And I've played tackle football since I was three years old. So this is this is a new experience for me. Um, but with that being said, um, I've just been doing everything I can you know, meetings wise with the quarterbacks, staying tuned in there and uh, recovery wise, I would say I'm, I'm doing pretty good, man. Hopefully it's just a couple more weeks and maybe I can get back out there and, and spin it a little bit. So all things are looking up and just trying to stay the course and be smart about it, not rush it, but time it just perfectly. So uh, things are going good though. Well, that's good to hear. So when you got hurt, you know, it's a big spot at a big game against a rival, and you yeah. were so, you know, safe to say emotional uh, on the sideline. And I, I was watching that, and you know how football players are, whether they're current like you or former like me. You watch someone, and you see when they are hurt how they react, and that kind of gives you an indication of what they hurt and how hurt they are. And when yeah. I saw you get emotional, I'm like, oh, no, that's not good. That that seems like he got bad news from a trainer. It might be long, might be end of the season type thing. But now speaking to you, I get the context of why you were so emotional because you one, you don't get hurt, and two, it's an abbreviated season. You waited so long to play. I can imagine that would have been frustrating. Yeah, it's exactly what you said. Um, the emotion really came from not the not the physical injury itself, like the physical pain from that, but more so the emotional and and the stress pain of for one we had just got back in that ball game right toronto was kind of giving it to us and we had just you know created some momentum we had just scored um i felt like we were getting the guys back behind us you know what i mean and then i got hurt and i and that was really what crushed me more than the physical injury but um like you said with it being a short season 
and just everything that's gone into it this year, you know, two off seasons, you, you never want to miss time, but when it's a shorter season like that, it just sucks. And I, I just felt bad. I felt it was kind of not a fair feeling, but I felt like I was letting the guys down and, you know, obviously everyone reassured me like, you know, you're crazy. That's not what's happening, but just that's how I am, man. I just want to be out there, just be a warrior with my brothers and, in that game, man, we were we were just coming back, you know. So I, that was a that was the fun part of a game for a quarterback, and it just sucked. I wasn't able to finish it off, but you know, Dave came in and did his thing, and you know, we were right there. So we'll we'll see them a couple more times this year, and we'll make it right. Yeah, this has been a league and a year specifically where you've needed a quarterback room to play at a high level and get through the season. And so you guys, given that you have a share on the top of the East, you're showing that you've got real great depth in, in your quarterback room. That emotion and that stress that you were describing, you know, I now have to go and apologize to my father-in-law because it was transferred from him to you as he's a diehard Ticats fan and a season ticket holder. And when I said to him, you know, on the couch, like, yeah, he, he's really upset. This is not really good. He started to really get upset and stressed. So he'll be happy to listen to this and know that you're on the road to recovery and when you look at your team you know you guys have got your bounce back for sure but you also are starting to get some players back in the next little while some guys are close specifically on the offensive side of the ball you know what is the feeling and the vibe in terms of what you might be able to do if you can just tread water for a little bit and get all of your horses going at the same time yeah and that's exactly what that's exactly what it is we just need to get everybody at one time healthy um we haven't really even played a game this year with everybody healthy, you know. So uh, we did get hit by the injury bug a little earlier earlier than most teams do. But uh, we we talk about around here, you know, good great teams find out ways to win, multiple ways to win. So if you can just win a game one way, you're just a good team. But if we can figure out ways to win by running the ball, by throwing the ball, by scoring on special teams, by scoring on defense, um, that's when you can start getting into that great category and. I think, you know, obviously check our track record. That's what we've been doing the last couple of weeks. We've been doing it with the run game and no trying not to turn the ball over and having our defense play lights out. So um, when we can catch up to what our defense and special teams has been doing offensively, um, I think we'll be a pretty good team going forward. Yeah, you know, the fascinating thing being around your team for the last couple of years is there's a real pride in how the team performs in all three phases. Some teams, you know, if they blow out uh, offensively, but the defense, you know, it's a little bit lax, they'll just be happy with the W. If special saves them at the end of a the game, they might be happy. But you guys really take pride in making sure that, um, you know, the, the front end and the back end of the defense is in sync, that offense is firing on all cylinders, and that the, the teams is putting, you know, people in position in terms of the field uh, game is this team you know for you um you know maybe a bit different uh in that category the way that there aren't as many clicks and they're pretty connected uh throughout the roster yeah yeah i mean everybody on this team you know we talk about obviously great teams can win multiple ways but also something that we say around here a lot is just make your play and that sounds really simple and really straightforward and kind of like, yeah, no crap. But you don't know how many plays you're going to get a game. You might get 15 one game, and you might have just one shot as a gunner running down on punt to, you know, get the guy right after the no yards. So whenever your play is there to present itself, just make it. And then if we all do that, 
and keep stacking them all up, like I said, we're going to be a tough team to beat in multiple ways. So that's something that uh, we always get excited whenever guys get pulled up from the practice roster or come back from the sixth game or whatever. And, uh, you know, it's just the waiting room. They're just waiting for their chance to make a play. And so far this year, uh, those guys have really uh, capitalized on the opportunities. The waiting room. I like that. Yeah. I might uh, I might have to steal that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you, you had um, your boy White make a play for you and, yep. and, and get in the end zone earlier in the year, which was nice. A new name, get his first score uh, in the league. But also it was a bit historical in terms of two different players with, um, you know, indigenous lineage, you know, connecting uh, for a TD, which is amazing. You know, we, we talk about pride and something you're really proud of um, is that you're a member of, of the Wichita tribe. When mm-hmm. You get asked about it, and when you get to talk about it, um, what does it mean to you? Why are you proud of being such a visible representative of, of your community? Yeah, I mean, it's always funny to me. I uh, I mean, let's just call a spade a spade. I look like a bald white guy, right? So I never tell, <laughs> I never tell people that just right off the bat that you know that I am native, and uh, I kind of let them fill me out a bit, and then I just I let them know, you know, like. That's something that I have always grown up with. I'm extremely proud of that heritage and that lineage. And, um, you know, it's just something that I've always wanted to represent the last name on my back just for my tribe. You know, obviously my mom and dad and my sister and my wife, I want to represent that name well for them too. But to me, the last name is connected to our tribe, you know, and, and I just... When, I know whenever our elders watch the game and when people back home in Oklahoma watch it, you know, that I'm not Dane Evans, the Ticats quarterback. You know, I, I'm, I'm, oh, that's, that's Damon's son. You know, that's, that's, that's that Evans boy. You know, that's how everybody talks about it. And it's just something that um, makes me extremely proud to be part of that community. Um, I've been thankful everywhere I've been at that, you know, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, there's a huge indigenous population there too. And, it was really cool. My last couple of years there, we did a Native American game, and uh, Coach Monty, who was my coach uh, there at the time, he let me wear the tribal seal on our helmet on the back as an extra sticker. And we had a couple other Native guys, and they got theirs on there too. And uh, I'm I'm really excited that you know coming up, we're going to be doing the National Day of Recognition and Reconciliation, and then also we're going to actually have an Indigenous Peoples game. So. I'm really excited to be a part of that up here in the CFL, especially with everything that's been going on, you know, this last year, COVID-wise and Indigenous people-wise. So um, for me, I hope that somebody can just see me um, and just say, you know, like, there's so much things that happen around the reservation and, and in our culture that are not necessarily good. You know, you hear a lot of the bad things, but I hope I can just be something that gives them, you know, hope. Maybe I inspire some some kid to maybe want to play sports, maybe want to do better in school. So if I can just inspire one person by my heritage, that's, that's a success for me. Well, you mentioned it. They might not necessarily know of that lineage on site if they see you, but if they see your cleats, they will. Is you yeah. had some custom uh, work done on them, which was pretty sweet, but making sure uh, that anyone got to see you know, the cleats up close knew kind of what you were playing for and who you were playing for. Other than it just looking amazing. How did you come up with that idea? Yeah, thank you by that. Um, uh, well, actually, a guy uh, just 
around town. His name's McFly. Uh, he hit me up on Instagram and kind of didn't know how it was going to go. thought it was kind of a scam. And then he was like, no, like I, I really do like these cleat, you know, like custom cleats. I checked his page and I was like, dude, those are freaking sweet, first of all. And second of all, do you think you could hook me up with a, you know, a, a pair for indigenous peoples night? And he was like, absolutely. He was like, you know, I won't even charge you. He's like, I would love to do this because he has a background um, in native culture too. So um, I just kind of sent him a couple ideas and he just ran with it, man. And he killed it. And hopefully I can be back and play in that game or at least wear them once this season in a game. But regardless, I'm going to rock them. And uh, I'm just the most proud that it has our, our tribal seal on, on the, I believe it's the left toe. Um, and I just, I, I never would have thought, you know, growing up in Southwest Oklahoma that I would get to represent that all the way up here in Canada and a whole nother country, you know, so it's pretty cool. He probably didn't know that you'd be, you know, throwing, you know, fades uh, to someone, you know, with a similar heritage and Papa White. When, when he was joined to the team, did you make the connection right away? I, 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 what have those conversations been like? Yeah, they've been they've been great. We clicked right away. Obviously, you know, we, we connect on that background, but also just as people, we really get along too. Um, Poppy's a great guy. Um, he's a freaking hard worker, and I think you've you're able to tell that by him. You know, being a rookie, getting on the field instantly, um, and and really, man, it's just I I knew he was uh, native just because uh, same thing. Social media, right? We we both follow one account. It's called Indian Sports, and it's N D N, like the letter sports. And uh, when we signed him, they they posted it, and I was like, oh, dang, I gotta go check out who this is, you know, and so kind of connected on that front before he even came to Canada. And then uh, he just reminds me so much of guys that I've known growing up. You know what I mean? He just it's, it, I know we've only known each other for one year, but it just seems like we know each other a lot more. Our chemistry uh, football-wise is really high. I, I'd put it really high up there. And uh, for me, when he scored that touchdown, I was I had the best seat in the house. I was the biggest fan, man, because I – I know we're both native, and I don't know how many other native players have scored from another native player up here. So I was I was going crazy for him, and uh, I know I'm the one who threw it and all, but really I was just so, so happy I was able to give him his first one. And like you said, that native connection, I was glad we were able to hit that. Yeah, and you, you know, you, you talked about kind of – your you know your history and your ascension and the, the point of pride you were able to get you know your certificate of degree of of indian blood which mm -hmm. I mean, certainly you don't you don't need but but to have like literally documented that piece of paper um something to be able to show uh friends family your future children in terms of where they come from what, what was that like yeah you're exactly right. That was to me. Um, I mean, I have I grew up, you know, around the reservation, and I, everyone there, you know, accepts me as a as an Indian, you know, and I that's just what I've grown up as. And um, for me, the biggest thing about the CDIB card was the fact that not only does it help me and my sister, you know, because she's the same uh, amount as me, but it'll help you know me and my wife's kids. It'll help my sister's kids whenever she gets to that point in her life. And uh, it, it helps with everything, man, because it, it, that's the only way it's so sad from what we once had to now. But that's the only way the U.S. government will really, you know, identify you as your degree of blood is high enough. You know, whatever that means, whoever set that bar. But um, so for me, that was just something that was huge, not so much for myself, but for, you know, 
my my future kids and what what that could mean for them it helps pay for everything man from just going to the dentist if you really need to to get in contacts to even college so i mean it's just a huge thing that can really help you set you up for success how does you know the practical um you know feeling of getting that compare you know to the point of pride feeling it was for you to get your first feather uh when you, when you got it when you were young yeah i mean yeah that one that one i, <laughs> I didn't know you were gonna ask about the feather but yeah man the uh the cdib card was great i mean that that like i said legally that was a big step but i, I don't even know how to describe to you what it's like to be given a feather and and some people would look at it and just be like what are you talking about? Like you got a, a, a basically hair from a dead animal, right? But no, for, for our culture, you did not receive a feather. There were two times you received a feather. It was when you were going to war and when you when they decided you became a man as a tribe. So whenever I received my feather when I was 17, about to go to college, I received it for the fact that they decided that I was a man. And it wasn't, you know, because I'm going to college and all that stuff. It was like I said earlier, to represent the last name, obviously bring your school pride, Tulsa and up here in Hamilton, but um, don't forget what those, la the, your last name on your back is. And you know, you're not, you're not playing for your immediate family. You're playing for your entire tribe. And that's what the feather represents. And uh, another thing that's kind of crazy is um, no females are allowed to touch the feather. So whenever I, I was given it, it w I put it straight into my Indian blanket and I've had it displayed ever since then. And that's just kind of our rule. That's that's how it goes. It, it's basically bad luck if a female touches it. So, um, yeah, I've got it in a shadow box. My wife stays away from it. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fascinating. But you know, for for those who are learning about the culture, you know, females certainly in it have a prominent role. Um, and a great example would be your great grandmother, uh, oh, Doris. Yeah. You know, fluent speaker of the Wichita language. What are some of, you know, the tenets and the traits, um, you know, of the Wichita tribe that she certainly had and that, you know, are instilled in the, in the rest of the family and, and the entire community? Yeah. Um, so my, I just called her Grandma Doe. That's what I always called her. But um, Grandma Doe, she, to me, she represented the tribe, obviously, in the fact that she was the last fluent speaker and when she passed in 2016 our language passed as well nobody else on earth can speak it um so that was kind of a, a hit you know to the tribe but we've been recovering since then with you know language camps and stuff like that um but just what she what she meant to me and to the family was just it, it truly was that she was the family central figure every holiday that i can remember Easter, Christmas, Thanksgiving, Fourth of July, whatever, whatever holiday you you want to say, I can remember we everyone would go to her house and we would set the table and nobody would touch any food until she blessed it in Wichita. She would say the prayer in Wichita, and it, looking back on it, it was just that's what we did. I didn't think anything of it, but being older and now thinking about it, like that was a trait of our tribe is consistency, resiliency, no matter what, day in and day out, this is what we do and we're going to do it the right way. And uh, for that, I mean, that's how she lived her life. That's what she did. Same house her whole way through her whole life ever since she got taken off, you know, her, her land by the, by the government. And um, I mean, that's what, that's what she means to me. She's, 
she's someone that I miss dearly, but I know she's with me and, and I know she's out there every time we play. It's amazing. And I love, you know, you being so candid about a relationship because I think it allows people anecdotally to maybe understand um, the community more so um, than maybe what you, you'd get if you were just reading a news article or watching the news. Um, sadly, much of the news coverage um, about the community has been relatively negative because of the negative treatment that they've had to endure over the years, which is why you know we find ourselves in Canada having a national holiday, Truth and Reconciliation Day. You know, you obviously have seen um, you know, lots of the treatment that hasn't been positive and the impact that's had throughout generations and generations of people. But if you could explain to others why on this national holiday truth and reconciliation it would be good to reflect to research to understand and not just take a day to not go to work um, right what would you say yeah to me i would say don't be afraid to be scared i mean you're going to read some things in articles that it i mean it's insanely remarkably sad that it happened but we need to recognize that it happened. We need to acknowledge that it happened. And then the most important thing I hope everybody does and they do not forget is to learn from it and to know how to never do this to, again. Not, not just to my people, but to any human race, any, any body on earth should never ever be treated that way. So yes, it is a Native American indigenous holiday, like you said, but to me, it's so much more than that because I, it, it's horrible that it happened and I think we should acknowledge it and then we should learn how to never ever let anything like this happen again and to me if, if we can do that then it's a positive you know what I mean we can somehow turn the worst negative that could ever be into a positive and that's I just hope even by my Instagram stories that I've been doing on game day I just hope somebody reads that and says oh wow I didn't know that you know Ottawa was named after you know uh the actual word for Ottawa, you know, and I hope that just something like that can spark them. And then they start researching, researching and start learning and learning how to never let it happen again. That's, that's to me, that would be a success in this day. Well said. Um, so why don't we, as we end and close, turn it, the conversation into a positive because he, 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 certainly this happens to native and indigenous communities i see it happen personally to black or you know african communities that when they're talked about um in a way it's kind of poverty porn they, things trend when there's trauma but what gets lost in that conversation is the legacy the overcoming the positive aspects of that culture and what was really great about that culture that has been stripped away um, over time. So, you know, if you could describe so that people don't just think of Native and Indigenous people in terms of something bad happened to them, they are weak in need of help. If you could describe the strength, the beauty, uh, the passion that comes from the culture, how would you describe it? What would you say? Oh, man. Uh, those are the most powerful words. I would... I would invite anybody that could ever at some point go to a powwow to go to a powwow. And you don't even have to dance in the ring. You don't have to do anything. You just need to be there. And it's much like a stadium on game day. You can just feel the buzz. You can hear the bells jingle and you can see, 
you know, the tassels spinning in the air, you see the headdresses on and you can smell the sage. And, um, it's just, it's, it's just a beautiful, beautiful culture. And like you said, I want people to know how resilient my people are. Like at one, t at one point in the 1700s and even the 1600s, the Wichita tribes span from basically where South Texas is now all the way up into Winnipeg. And it, we just constantly been moved around our entire existence basically but you know what we're still here it doesn't matter if we walked on the trail of tears or if we got moved from this reservation to this reservation you can't like you you might be able to weed some of us out but we're still here like whatever you do that's how beautiful this culture is we're resilient we're fighters um everything you need to know would just be summed up by a powwow go to a powwow and watch all the variations of the dances the war dance the ghost dance everything it, it will literally leave you breathless like you will not know what to say well it's no coincidence that some of the adjectives you use to describe your people and your culture would be the very same adjectives used to describe you if I was looking at a scouting report of Dane Evans as the football player. So, you know, thank you for spending this time. Thank you for using your platform and your spotlight as a football player to talk about things that are certainly important to you, but important for all of us to understand. Um, and hoping to see you with your resilient fighting self back on the field soon. Appreciate this. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for allowing me this platform and having me come on here and talk about it. I really appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Well, what do you say after that? There's not much I can say to follow Dean Evans other than to say I'm really happy he's in the league. He's a force of personality and a great player, and he's using his platform, as I said earlier, to shed light on something that's incredibly, incredibly important. Uh, so much so that it is a national holiday, You'll notice there isn't a Thursday game this week. There are four games on the schedule. Now, depending on when you're listening to this, you're probably wondering, well, why didn't they talk about Edmonton and Ottawa, the loved Tuesday contest? Well, that's because we taped this before that game, but it's coming to you and hitting your favorite podcast player after that game. So, so that's why. But we will talk about that game in full next week on the podcast as well with pat who again does a great job no matter when you're listening to this whether it is on the 30th or afterwards please take some time to do what dane said and research and reflect we're now six years after the truth and reconciliation investigation which gave us 94 calls to action that all of us as a country are responsible for Depending on how you do the math, we're at 9, 10-ish. So clearly, lots of work to do and clearly really important when, again, to underscore the point, 150,000 kids, give or take, were taken from their homes. When you adjust that for Canada's population now, considering it was seven generations ago, it's a staggering amount. But the impact of that still lives with us today generations later so if you are listening to this and you are negatively impacted a couple of resources for you the canadian crisis hotline 1-88-353-2273 the indian residential school survivors family crisis line 1-866-925-4419 
And if you are moved after you listen to this, then go out and donate your time, your money, your attention to a cause that's really, really important. And one of the resources you could find, you don't actually have to look all that far for. Just scroll on your podcast player on this very podcast, The Waggle, because not long ago we spoke to Natan Obed about those calls to action and what the sporting community can do so that reconciliation is not just a hope or a dream, it's a reality. That episode was June 11th, so give that a listen if you're interested. Thanks for Dane for sharing. Thanks to you for listening. Talk next week. The Waggle, the official podcast of the Canadian Football League.